0: There's absolutely nothing going to happen here in about 10 minutes' time. Step this way. Move your legs. Your body will follow. This little 14-year-old started trailing us around, Waldo and I, on Canada Day. We must have pumped out seven or eight shows that day. Mm -hmm. And just watching everything we did and ask us questions... Uh, his name was David Aiken. That would be the checkerboard guy. The checkerboard oh, guy. It was, uh, it was kind of fun having this uh, little apprentice boy uh, traveling around. And as far as I remember, he had done a couple of shows at his school, but he was really thrilled by the fact that you could just set up somewhere and do a show.
1: Welcome to Stories from the Pitch, a podcast dedicated to creating a living oral history about street performing and some of the crazy characters who populate this world. I'm David Aiken, the Checkerboard Guy, and I was, in fact, that wide-eyed 14-year-old over three decades ago who tagged along and asked questions. So for this Canada Day release, it seemed appropriate to acknowledge the contributions that Johnny Torano has provided to not only me, but an entire generation of performers who were exposed to him in the early days of the Canadian street theater scene. As his stage name suggests, Johnny's primary sphere of influence was Toronto, and he could be regularly seen performing in the evenings in front of the Eden Center or on weekends down at the beaches. But how did his journey begin, and why did he end up deciding to make juggling on the street a career when there were so few other people doing it at the time? Did he choose this lifestyle, or like so many other street performers I know, did this lifestyle choose him? Fellow performer in Torontonian Derek Scott sat down with Johnny to find out and gain a bit more perspective on Johnny's life. A life filled with so many great stories from the pitch.
2: Johnny Toronto, when I came to Toronto in 1980, you were already, and I'm old, (laughs) you were already...
0: uh... (laughs) I want to be called the father of Toronto jugglers, but someone said no. You're the grandfather. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't like that very much.
2: It's true. Like, uh, I'm old. I came in 1980 from Alberta, and you were already a legacy. You were already uh, doing your stuff. You were. I mean, there wasn't a lot of people on the street back then. In a,
0: no, in unusual places, too. Yorkville. Nobody, yes, nobody performs right. in Yorkville anymore. Even on Queen Street West. I did some shows on Queen Street West in uh, 78, 79, wow. I think. And there was uh, maybe a magician, there was a guy named Michael Ross,
2: I remember who Michael. we had
0: to sort of uh, shift off because he would want the uh, spot for the whole evening. And we go, well, give us a, you know, or, that was with Waldo, actually, when Waldo came to town. But that's another story in itself. So you street perform for, I guess, 30, 20, years, 20 years, 25 years, uh, sort of from 79 to late 90s, up uh, I've In the 2000s, I've even gone and done one show on the beaches just to yeah. see if I still have my chops and see if it's still fun. And it is still fun. Yeah. yeah. Although, oddly enough, the last time I was at the beaches, I went to the very spot we used to street perform. Uh, yourself, myself, Scott the Juggling Guy, Dan Cole, uh, God rest his soul, was uh, on this same spot. I went down last summer. It was a beautiful summer day and it was gorgeous sunshine quiet day down in the beaches and uh, unfortunately I had, had an accident and I was in a wheelchair and I wheeled my wife wheeled me down past the spot where we used to perform and I thought it's so nice and peaceful here the worst thing that would possibly happen at this moment is if some jerk street performer came and threw down his equipment and started yelling and I thought, how could I have done that all those years? <laughs> and how did people, why did people gather around when I was? Uh, you have to be a little obnoxious to be a street yeah, performer. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you're making, it's not the same at Busker Fests. People are there and they want to go and see a busker and they don't care what you're saying at first. But the moment you start a show, you're yelling and screaming and breaking the peace of the afternoon. Uh,
2: But in respect to you, Johnny, I think as much as you have to be obnoxious, there's a charm underneath. There is an intrigue. People look past the obnoxiousness (laughs) that you had a charm. You had an intrigue that people were like, what is behind this obnoxious front, and I think Thank that's you. something that you brought to it that made you successful. Programs. Thanks.
0: I couldn't see that for myself, but I definitely saw it in Scott's shows. Yeah, He would crack some of the funniest jokes right off the top or talk about some of the funniest things. The lines were just absolutely so funny and it was so spontaneous. I never knew anyone who could deliver lines like him. And the timing was impeccable. And I could sort of see that. I hope that some of that rubbed off on me and maybe some of, if you say, I had charm rubbed off on Scott as well. But yes. to tell you the truth, that was why I didn't mind those first 20 minutes of a street performing gig. Uh, we're not talking, again, we're not talking Busker Fest. Right? We're talking yes. just putting down your stuff in the middle of nowhere Gathering a crowd um, people back in the eighties aren't
2: there to see a show. Unlike exactly. buskers, they've got so places
0: far. to go, yeah. People to meet, places to spend their money. They have an ice cream to buy down the street, things for their kids. They don't know what you're up to. There's a certain amount of trust that they put their faith in you. That uh, they're going to move closer when you ask them to move closer, and they're going to commit themselves to staying. Uh, not only for 20 minutes, half an hour, but then to (laughs) putting money in your hat when you... See, I don't think they're
2: committed to staying. I think they're committed to giving you the chance. I don't believe they're committed to staying. I think at any point during that time... It's true, they can sneak away. They will sneak away. I think their commitment is in 30-second increments. Mm -hmm. If any time during that 30 seconds you lose them, they'll be gone.
0: That's true. There's no commitment there. So you have to, yeah. <laughs> every that's 30 seconds, keep, every, yeah. you better
2: do something that keeps uh, them there. That pleases them. Yeah, otherwise...
0: Although, as they say, a small crowd gathers a bigger crowd.
2: Absolutely, but you're still making the- that small crowd happy. Yeah. If at any point that small crowd becomes a disgruntled crowd, you now have a big disgruntled crowd <laughs> rather than... <laughs> and I've seen a few. Yeah. How did you come up with Johnny toronto
0: 1979 or 78 perhaps after a juggling convention down in santa barbara california now i may have the years wrong It may have been 1982 i met a woman named karen quest she visited toronto hanging out with me and i showed her around it must have been 82 because i knew toronto by then and i seemed to know a lot about toronto she said you know a lot about Toronto, why don't you call yourself Johnny Toronto? Ah, clever name. I thought it was corny at first. Uh, it was a name used by John Candy. He used to say that he wanted to own, and he did, own part of the Argos in those mm-hmm. days, and he wanted to be a real Johnny Toronto. So he used it in a couple of sketches, I think. I later talked to John Candy's partner in crime in uh, from Second City and later... Saturday Night Live uh, fame. Big name in comedy. Anyway, I, t- I talked to him because I was working in a club where he was and uh, said, Do you think John Candy, K- he had died by then, do you, do you think John, the late John Candy would mind if I used the name that he referred to himself as? John uh, Candy? Uh. And he gave me the uh, okay. He said, John Candy would be thrilled if you went by the name of Johnny Toronto so ever since
2: wow I never knew that's where it came from I thought it was a product placement you're getting money from the city (laughs) I wish (laughs) I've
0: tried I've gone to them and i said look why don't you hire me for this festival this festival this festival I am Johnny Toronto and they go yeah yeah whatever thanks very much fill out this form But, but it has kind of worked for me because people often come up and go yeah Johnny Toronto I've heard of you before yeah. Even if they haven't. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, just that in Toronto. Yeah. And
2: Let's go back, though. You were a teacher. Mm-hmm. So you decided you went to school. You did your four years or how many years? Yeah, did you five become? years. Five a years. BA
0: in English and Drama and then one more year to be a teacher. So you've done your five, six years and you decide you're going to become a
2: teacher. You get a job.
0: Up in Prince George.
2: Prince George. You're teaching... High school? Yeah, high school. High school. Brand new high school, just I been built. think there's a pension plan involved of the teachers' union. Uh, it was pretty good money in those days. Yeah? Um, yeah, I
0: had a car, and uh, already car. I was married. Wow. I was mm. married up there, and uh, we were sort of settling in, and all the teachers talking about mortgages and going hunting, and sure. there's skadoos in the wintertime sure. up in Princeton.
2: Sounds like a pretty nice You got a <laughs> retirement <laughs> savings True plan. Enough. You've got a car. You've mm. got uh, the wife. And then
0: something changed. And then a guy comes from Vancouver with a mime company that I had actually hired to entertain my school and to do workshops. And he said, if anybody wants to stay around after school today and learn to juggle, stick around. So I stuck around with my students and picked up three balls and went, I can do this already. Mm. My dad had taught me when I was eight years old, over the couch with oranges and socks. He did something called the egg trick. Everybody, Corky, do the egg trick. Every night at parties he would be asked to do this. And I went, Oh, I can juggle already. Well, this is fun. From that moment, I kind of stopped teaching. <laughs> I just I taught the like, kids who wanted to learn to be clowns, who wanted to learn to juggle, who wanted to learn to unicycle. Often the truckers themselves or the lumberjacks would come in and go, What kind of fairy stuff are you teaching my kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they loved it because then we went on little tours of the other elementary schools and hospitals. And uh, they did little clowning bits. And I only directed them, but I wanted to be there. They were sending us to a lot of workshops. They said, where do you want to go to study uh, some more drama? Okay. As a drama teacher, we'd like to uh, beef up your credentials, uh, professional development. I went, well, I've heard of this school down in Blue Lake, California. turned out it was uh, fairly famous and still is, I Yeah, think. yeah, of course. Um, I went
2: down there years ago just to hang out with them. there. Uh, yeah, new really people. good people.
0: Jacques Lecoq came through, and they were oh, always right. talking about D'Cru yeah. and all the big names, and Marcel Marceau they were talking about yeah. all the time as as intimate, like they knew Marcel Marceau oh. intimately. And I got to be a parking lot clown for, uh, what was it called? I have a book.
2: Some of your best work, I remember. Pickle
0: Family. Oh,
2: beautiful. Pickle
0: Family Circus.
2: With Bill Irwin.
0: uh, With Bill Irwin was there. And Jeff Hoyle. Jeff Hoyle, yeah. Something, the Sniff, the the Sniffer or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, yeah, I volunteered to be a parking lot clown, fooled around there. And then the next summer when I left teaching, I I gave them uh, one more year up in Prince George, British Columbia, read... A, an article about Philippe Petit yeah. and his walk across the uh, Twin Trade, follow? no Twin Trade, oh, yeah. and and his street performing. Yeah, how we would and I went. That's what I want to do.
2: He was street performing when I was in Paris many
0: years ago, and you saw him. Yeah, oh um, yeah.
2: beautiful. Yeah.
0: And he would do that. He would just like ride up in his unicycle and set up his slack rope and yeah. do his thing. And, and he started to realize that
2: walking across Niagara Falls and World Trade Centers and things like that was uh, getting him more attention than street farming up at, at <laughs> Pompidou in Paris. <laughs> and um, I never learned that.
0: Uh-huh. I, I, I thought that street performing was, was the end all and the be all. But and I want to get more
2: details. So you're there in Prince George. Prince George. You've done your five to six years uh, teaching. You've got the job, you've got the wife. You make it sound so easy that from that point on, I decided to be a street performer. (laughs) How was that decision?
0: Okay, I guess part of it was uh, something that I haven't divulged, is that when I went to Blue Lake, California, my wife went to Quebec to study French, uh, and she was intrigued by the French language and bilingualism. She came back and said she didn't want to be married to me anymore. Uh, She had found somebody. I did not know uh, that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> there's there's the uh, there's the secret, I guess. Um, the plot point, they call yeah, that. Yeah, so right? that was part of it. So then when I come back, I don't even have really a house. We hadn't bought a house. We were just living in an apartment. I didn't have an apartment to come back to. I go and live with a fellow drama teacher. And I, I think I ended up giving the car to my wife because I remember from that moment hitchhiking to get to my job and sometimes being picked up by my own students. Mm-hmm. I was pretty... You know, there were uh, people were writing on the the, the uh, students were writing on the uh, on the desks. Uh, Mr. McCorkle is a fag, and at that time I was a communist. I was a vegetarian. Mm. I was a single guy hitchhiking to school. Uh, I was a bohemian. I didn't fit in in Prince George. I can see that. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so. Uh, so that's, I Not guess, a part of my decision to go to the Columbia. Communist juggling
2: um, <laughs> community up there, I think.
0: Not many uh, <laughs> fellow travelers. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm on my own in Prince George, and it's a, it's a town of eighty thousand in those days, perhaps.
2: You come back from Blue Lake, you decide to make this change, and you go where?
0: Back to California to meet up with my friends whom I met at uh, Carlo Mazzoni Clemente's school, mm-hmm. uh, we worked up a little routine. They already had a little kind of a, a, a new vaudeville company called Fantasy Theatre Company. They're doing shows at the base of a trolley turnaround in San Francisco. Yeah. At the bottom, there's a trolley turnaround where uh, many, many tourists line up and then about 20 or 30 get right up close for six minutes, and then they all board the trolley. I
2: know exactly where it is. It's connected to a park.
0: Yeah. Okay. And we, yeah, um, yeah, I didn't look around much because I was so intent on the show that I was doing, which was called The String, which just involves uh, finding a string that gets larger and larger. It's a mind piece, and eventually you're tugging and tugging, you're having a, a tug of war with this giant piece of rope, and something just pulls you off. And that was my contribution, and maybe a little juggling, which I wasn't good at. Okay. Um, so you did So this, I did that Colorado. six minutes, six minutes, six minutes, pass ahead, six minutes, pass ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did that all day long, 15, 20 shows a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't make a lot of money, but we made enough to stay in San Francisco and then head to Aspen, Colorado. Uh, it's the playground of the rich and famous mm-hmm. in winter and summer. We were there all summer. We got lucky enough to be part of a big circus opera called Houdini, Mm. and we just happened to be there, and they went, oh, finally, some actual new vaudeville performers, can you please be part of this? They gave us uh, Aspen, Colorado Festival passes for the cafeteria, which we used three times a day, Mm. and we were the last ones in there when it... Finished up in mid-September. We were, we were the last to use the cafeteria and uh, finally left. But we were in that production, which was written up in Time magazine. I have a picture of myself in Time magazine of wow. that year, 1977 or 78. And uh, we made a decent living in the streets of Aspen, Colorado and learning the trade of street performing. Uh, it was really nice to have these two people yeah. to work with. So I wasn't out there on my own, and I could observe this guy, Ed Allen. Ed Allen, Mimi Schultz. Great to work with them, and I was like their apprentice.
2: At some point you left these two to start confidence. Uh, well, and- I moved
0: to Toronto. My brother lived in Toronto. I was an Ontario boy, having grown up for the most part in Ottawa. I wanted to get back to Ontario.
2: Bigger communist community than
0: yes. George. Yes. <laughs> A few more vegetarians, too, and a couple of e- even restaurants, vegetarian restaurants. And I wasn't called a uh, F.A.G. anymore. Yeah. So and if you were, it, I, it was wasn't as derogatory. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. A big community of, of uh, gay people here, too, which I I grew to uh, hang out and love because my brother was. So, uh, so I got that, you know, it was great to hang out in that community in those days, although they were much maligned. But he was a good guy when I was here, and very supportive, and I lived at his house mm-hmm. while I was learning to be a street performer on my own here in Toronto, and, and very 70 78, 79. Okay.
2: And so you started your first uh, pitches? Do you remember where you headed out to when you arrived? Yeah. To? For
0: some reason I headed to Queen Street West, right outside the Black Bull. Oh, yes. Just near yeah. the Black Bull. I, I There was a big area to perform in, and uh, I did a couple of shows there. They went okay. I don't, to tell you the truth, I don't remember but the first shows on my own. Okay. And then I went to Yorkville, and that was fun. And I was joined by... Uh, uh, there was a, uh, a show in town called Hot Jam, where I met a guy named Wessa Harrick and a bartender named Scott, who became Scott the Juggling Guy.
2: Scott's last name? Uh, Norman. Scott, Scott Norman. Scott Norman, right? Scott Norman.
0: And we were all jugglers. and Oh, and David Mary played a big... Part in that he was a magician. Yeah, some of them chose not to do the streets, mm-hmm. but uh, myself and Scott became a fixture on Toronto streets by 1980, I guess. Yeah, in Yorkville, uh, the beaches. Yeah, and uh, then Eaton Centre.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: A guy from Vancouver came to town named Arnold Barnold. Arnold Barnold, the juggling fool. He had worked with somebody well known, like Fred Garbo, or something. And they had done shows for years before that in Vancouver, juggling shows. And he came to town and said, look, it's a job. Street performing is not just uh, an avocation. You don't just go out when you feel like it. You go out every night to Eaton Centre. And Scott and I would get there for 8.30. Doors closed at Eaton Centre at 9. So we're sitting there setting our stuff up. And within 10 minutes, we have a good crowd around us and it gets bigger and bigger, and we could pop off one or two shows, but every night, you don't miss it. As of
2: what year, approximately? As of 1980. Yeah, because I don't even know if you were there before I was there. I started in 1980 as well, and it seemed like this great spot. The only people there were these Christian bands.
0: Christian bands. They had um, some people on those hot bicycles that hopped around. Yeah. Some break
1: dancers.
2: Yeah. But even the break dancers came later, as did the BMX bikes. I remember the only ones that were there were Christian bands, <laughs> and I remember negotiating like between oh, them. Oh, yeah.
0: They were not particularly friendly, and I think no. they looked on us as uh, spawns of the devil because uh, we well, were juggling day, fire but... and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. they didn't. They They were very
2: sweet uh, on the surface. Yeah. But, uh, yeah.
0: Hoping to convert us, but man, they they would have like three or four people around them. What a waste of a spot when we could get 200 people within minutes around us and do our show and then pass the hat and get the heck out. And they would be there for the entire evening preaching to three or four people all night. But it was fabulous
2: space. It was oh, a lot of space. You could great. get a big wow. audience, and they seemed to stay because I don't know. It was right at Young and Dundas, and there seemed to be people looking for something, and nothing was going on.
0: People have come back to me uh, recently, as recent as like six months ago. Someone has come up after a show of mine and said, "You know, when I was a kid, I came from uh, Dunville or Barrie or Aurelia." With my parents, and we would walk down Yonge Street and see you on the sidewalk uh, performing. That, to me, was Toronto. Yeah. And it makes me feel pretty good, except when it makes me feel very old.
2: Yeah. These I are, remember, and we could make, on a good Friday night,
0: $100. Yeah, that's true. Uh, three, hundred, three shows. Three, yeah. Or three or four shows. $100. Yeah. Wow. If we did that two nights in a row... That would be... Um, some uh, beer money. <laughs> it, would be, uh, it would be like
2: over $100. Yeah. Yeah, straight. That's, true. that's why Arnold Barno <laughs> said
0: you have to do it every night and just go out and just pump out those shows. If you can get three shows in after 9 o'clock, between 9 and 10, yeah. do it. And yeah. he showed us how. Just yeah. pump them out. He yeah. used to go and spend the whole day at uh, Sunnyside just lying around uh, the pool, and then he'd come and do his shows, and we went, that's the life. This is the guy we have to emulate.
2: But also, I remember, you know what, there was, you had to know your chops back then because it really was, it wasn't the pleasant little pure 39. This this yeah. was tough. You would Not get a the spot. And, uh, yeah.
0: You it had to be able to hold your own. It wasn't a traditional yeah. uh, busking spot because, uh, well, A, we didn't call ourselves buskers, but there were none in Toronto. Yeah. We cr- I hate to say it we created them yep. we created those spots we yep. created Yorkville and we created um, Eaton Center for sure and the other one we created uh, Good Sunday Afternoon and I remember you down there doing um, some great magic stuff and I went he's in fact one time you lost your voice down at the beaches uh, yeah. you had no voice you had laryngitis Yeah. you did an entire show and I went how is this possible <laughs> I have to yell and scream and make jokes and constantly talk And he's got this crowd mesmerized, doing mime and magic, hardly any juggling, and uh, he's got them for uh, 30 minutes without talking.
2: Yeah. Wow. And it was the days, and the kids out there today might not know what we're talking about, but we didn't have those things. What are those fancy things that amplify your... Uh, What what are those... Microphones. We never had...
0: had Speakers, microphones. We never used them. No. I still hesitate to use them. I still yell yeah uh, crowd but of course if i was at a festival i i haven't been to a Busker fest in many many years but if i was i'd have to use one because the competition is great and the crowds are big 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 yeah yeah, yeah. we we have big big
2: crowds we have big crowds big but crowds. you know what uh, 3 uh, 400 people even today i feel i've learned how to use my voice in other events because you'd feel when your voice is clamping up you'd feel all of those things and you would just by survival Learn how to open up your voice and use your diaphragm and all those things that they teach you at theater school. But you actually had to <laughs> yeah. learn them, and as a result, years later, you still have those
0: skills. Hmm. I, in those days, because I like to pump out the shows, I do four or five shows a day. I remember doing the apple eating bit, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, I get such a stomach ache. <laughs> you eat them. You eat those apples very fast at a, <laughs> at a rapid rate. Yeah. And you eat, mo- you eat a lot, you spit out some, but uh, you don't want to be too gross. And yeah, five apples a day, every day.
2: There was an expression from back then, an apple a day keeps a dog <laughs> away, four apples for a juggler makes you sick. I think yeah. that was something in the Yeah, they started
0: using that. Uh, yeah,
2: it rhymed a bit better.
0: Then Scott I and I became uh, so well-known down on the beaches, and it's a, it was amazing that you could sort of get fame in a city of, the city yep. of Toronto yep. by being a street performer. Yep. It was strange. But um, one night, Scott and I staggered out of a tavern down on uh, Gerrard Street and uh, literally staggered over to Scott's car and fell into it. And Scott started the car up and cops were watching us the whole time. Uh, jumped out of their car, well, blocked Scott's car from going, jumped out of their car, came running to us, and went, uh, I'm sorry, but you're not going anywhere. And then suddenly one police officer looked at the other and went, isn't that Scott the juggling guy? He was driving, right?
2: Wow! He was—he
0: was going to attempt to drive home. Isn't that Scott the guy? Jugg- are you Scott the juggling guy? And he went, yeah, "I'm Scott the juggling guy." <laughs> and the policeman said, "Oh, I've seen your show a dozen times down the beaches and on Eaton Center at Eaton Center. You're the best. You're great." <laughs> and they started uh, talking about Scott's bits between the two yeah. officers, and then they said, "You guys are all right with, with us." Just go ahead. Wow. And they let us drive away. Oh, wow. Smashed. Wow, they let you drive oh, they, away. Yeah, yeah, they just, they just went, you guys are all right with us. Go ahead, guys. And they just got in their car and drove away. And we looked at one another went, Okay, let's, let's go home and continue partying. <laughs> uh. Let me tell you about Waldo and he Yes. He, you're here's my story of Waldo. I met him in Albany with my friends uh the fantasy theater company and we did a show called Juggle Mania. So then I'm up in Toronto trying to do in the early days a solo show. And Waldo is spending his summers picking tobacco in Tilsonburg. He, somehow he finds himself in Toronto and I'm going, hey Wally, what what are you doing up here? Come and live at my place. Uh, Scott, the juggling guy, is already living there. So now there's three of us living at my place. So Paul is, uh, (laughs) Waldo, sorry, is now living at my place. And we're uh, discovering more and more street performing venues. I remember the the first time Waldo and I, uh, Scott was working or something. And Waldo and I went down to the beaches to experiment, to see on a Sunday afternoon if it would work. We make a killing. We uh, clean up down there. We do uh, one after another, one show after another. We come back. Scott said, "How did it go down in the beaches?" We go, "Oh, terrible! It was awful." What do you think? I mean, people are in their bathing suits. They don't have money in their pockets. Nobody's down there to stand around and watch a show. We did terrible. Let's never go back there again. <laughs> We're back there the next day. Eventually, Scott finds out and follows us down there. So Waldo and I that summer, we go to Montreal. No, sorry, we're in Quebec City. We're performing in Quebec City up mm-hmm. on the uh, heights, uh, just outside of uh, the Hotel Frontenac. I've been there. Windy place to perform. Beautiful place. But, uh, yeah. God, there's a lot of good street I performers in Quebec. I spent a lot Quebec. of
2: summers up there, yeah. Johnny. Um, it's,
0: uh, it's nice. I, lo- I love the Quebec City. Yep, was
2: really good people. were there. They were strolling. They were quite happy to see street performers. I threw in a
0: little French... Uh, uh, Waldo followed me around to, from restaurant to restaurant and said, Le Mem shows" ah. kept, Every time I ordered anything, <laughs> any time I ordered it, he'd just look at the waiter and say, Le Mem Yeah, You could do things for the Quebecois that um, that you couldn't do in Toronto. Yeah, Just wacky stuff. Yeah. They, they appreciated clowns so much more.
2: I remember cool. um, Fergie came with her husband. Uh, it was a royal visit. Oh. And... Um, they, they were going right by my the pitch I was at and they, they told me that they would like me performing there during that and so as soon as they came by, I had uh, prepped the whole audience to go down on our knees and bow oh, and so as soon as they went by we all went down on our knees and <laughs> bowed, bowed to them and they had a big chuckle uh, oh, as they went stuff. by
0: Isn't that great when you get your audience to to do something all together? Yeah. They feel like, well, and that is the important thing. Uh, Richard Pachinko, who I studied with, said, uh, you can have seven alternatives for every bit. You should have seven alternatives, but the best bit comes from the audience, and you make the audience feel like they're doing the show. For that split second, when the audience feels like, they are doing the show, that's when they love it the best. And yeah, that, and
2: something that's lost is people get very uh, pat down to what their routines no. are and they're thrown off when something in the audience <laughs> happens that doesn't go within what their routine is. And absolutely, there's nothing like the feeling that the audience gives you when they feel like they're in control.
0: Mm. Yeah. And, or that, as you say, you're reacting to something completely spontaneous, uh, whether it is or not, it may happen every night. A, that's right. A siren comes along yeah. on Young Street. We used to use the line, uh, oh, there's my ride home. Uh, uh, and, of course, sure. to the audience, it was the first siren that you had ever heard.
2: Yes, that? that's right. Uh, right.
0: Oh, I'm just reacting spontaneous. But yeah. you knew every time that siren would come. Yeah. But there was
2: a time that that first siren did go. Ah, and you did true. say, "Yes, there's my ride home. And went,
0: wow. I, I had a guy who used to come out to uh, shows in, uh, on Young Street with his dog. And at a certain spot, he would kick his dog to make the dog Ah! bark, because the very first time the dog barked at me, I was on the tall unicycle, and uh, I'd make jokes about the dog being a pit bull or barking up the wrong tree or something, get a good laugh from the audience. But then he felt that he was an integral part of the show and his dog. Yeah. So he knew that a spot when he would kick his dog, the dog would bark. In fact, I don't think after a while he didn't have to kick his dog. The dog knew when to bark in my show, and it seems spontaneous. I think it's Pavlovian. Yeah, poor dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to kick the dog enough yeah. times, he barks. Yeah, bark? He then the dog had go. a little bell after But uh, back to Quebec City. Yes. Uh, we had a good time in Quebec City. We moved to Ottawa for Canada Day that year. Mm-hmm. That day... We went to Parliament Hill, and they were just about to have a very big concert with, like, uh, Randy Bachman or somebody. uh, Guess who? Or somebody was uh, making a, a big appearance on Canada Day on Parliament Hill. So there was a huge crowd there. Unfortunately, it started raining. Well, fortunately for us, it started sprinkling a little bit. They packed the show in right away. They waited for a minute pack the show in, put tarpaulins over all... They just didn't want to mess around with the electricity, uh, the microphones with, with it raining. They didn't have a, anything over their stage. There were 10,000 people with nothing to do. We had uh, my unicycle there. While we had uh, Waldo had all his stuff. We were on the hill. I looked at an RCMP officer who was uh, looking at us. I said... Would it be okay if we did a show here? And he went, Well, as long as you don't ride over anybody on that big bicycle of yours. (laughs) I went, Waldo, we're okay. And we started into several shows, the first of which I had the biggest crowd of my life and maybe of all my life. Like, there's a thousand people around me. If I had to get the hell out of there, there was no exiting for me. I couldn't get through that crowd if I tried huge crowd in all directions on Parliament Hill. Waldo did a show after that, probably got an even bigger crowd. I may have done another show after that. I just felt very proud to be a Canadian. I probably rubbed it into Waldo saying, do you think... You could go onto um, the White House lawn, <laughs> the lawn of the White House or the lawn of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., yeah. and do a street show yeah. and yeah. have the uh, Capitol police say, yeah, go ahead, as long as you don't uh, fall over anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was just so proud to be a Canadian. Like, yeah. oh, it's so loose up here and look at what we've made today. Uh, doing street shows on Canada Day. At, we went over to Confederation Square and did them in front of the statue of the uh, the, the war dad. Yeah, yeah. And we did the shows in the uh, Byron Market, I think it was called. Uh, did shows on Parliament Hill. It was a great day. And that was uh, the day that we met David Aiken. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it
2: all comes together. He was probably studying you to see what lack of marketing you were doing performers and <laughs> yes. how he could capitalize on having better marketing packages oh, yeah. than any of us.
0: He gave me some <laughs> tips later, which unfortunately I ignored at my peril.
2: You didn't but, yeah, make Johnny he, Toronto watches, huh? No. Uh, yeah.
0: Or Johnny Toronto shoes or drive a Johnny Toronto car. <laughs> the other thing he was very good at in those days, I'm sure he gave me some and Waldo some in At that very day, was making bags to keep our money in.
2: Oh wow! Yeah, and
0: and as the money got bigger, he made bigger bags for us. I've got, I still have about five of his bags. He was a good uh, seamstress in those days too, and I think a man of many talents. Yeah, Yeah.
2: how lovely! (laughs) So you gave up at some point street performing. You started to do more festivals and started to.
0: Yeah, but not Busker Fest. I no, never, no. I never but you would find management.
2: yourself at uh, Southern Ontario and uh, yeah. around Ontario. I think it. the reason
0: why I left the streets, and particularly when the Busker, aside from doing Halifax a couple of years, and that was in the late 80s, um, is because I felt like there were just too many people doing similar things. They were all on tall unicycles. Mm-hmm. Uh, the finales were all juggling fire torches or machetes. Mm-hmm. I was one of many at those festivals. I'll find places where they haven't seen mm-hmm. me. have seen my act before. Nice little farm festivals mm-hmm. in, in northern Ontario, and, mm-hmm. uh, where mm-hmm. sometimes you, you, your act could go either way. It could be exciting to them, or it could be like, why would uh, they mm-hmm. give you that look? Not like, wow, look at what you're doing. It was like, why would anybody do that?
2: Kind of back to what your you Prince doing? George days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the Without the <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah.
2: So you're now in Ontario. Yeah, I so I'm
0: still... Yeah, some of that... I remember Ireland felt like that to me. Uh, Madame Busterfly and myself did a show called Rebels with Applause. Rebels with Applause. In Madame
2: Busterfly is Christy Heath, the wonderful and charming, lovely Christy
0: yeah. Heath. Yeah, we were partners for uh, a few years there. Can I tell a, a story of her and I and... Uh, Halifax, the year after. I don't think you were there. That You were the year... It was pretty successful, 1989. That's right. Yeah. 1990, uh, we were asked to come back and do that circuit. You know, you do uh, right. five or six cities in New Brunswick yeah. and uh, Nova Scotia, yeah. and then end up in Halifax. Yeah. And we decided to bring my dog this time, my dog that uh, Christie had given me named Oscar. Oscar the Wonder Dog, or we called him Grant Furry. Yeah, yeah. Or... Uh, Doggy Gilmore, because he was a brilliant hockey-playing dog. Mm -hmm. And he had a great little five-minute act where we could drill tennis balls anywhere towards a net, and he could catch them. Mm -hmm. And if we moved the net anywhere, he was, like, glued to the net. Didn't matter where we moved. So we had a comedy bit where we shifted the net around and then finally established it in one place and then drilled balls into us. We decided to take him to Halifax that one year in 1990. However, we were flying, and we didn't want to put him out. You know, when you fly animals, you have to put them out, sedate them. Yeah. We were a little worried about sedating him, so we gave him to a dog trainer who was going. Oddly enough, she had a place in Nova Scotia where she trained dogs. She was going right around the same time. She left about a week before we did. Took Oscar with her. Beautiful black-and-white border collie, uh, very smart but obsessed with balls. I can actually juggle with him. One hand juggling, uh, yeah, one yeah, yeah. hand, one mouth. Yeah. You do it, like, three, sometimes four balls into his mouth, and I've got one hand, and it's a dual juggling Wow, wow. It was great. So when Christy and I needed that extra time, uh, we had a, a nice act together, but uh, we had done it the year before in Halifax. We, we wanted something original. So here we go, flying into Halifax. One of our first stops is Stellerton. We're performing in a parking lot of a Legion Hall in Stellerton, three-quarters of the way through the act. I'm on the tall unicycle. I hit a rock. Down I go. Not feeling very good about what happened to my back and my arm. But, you know, the adrenaline is flowing. Mm-hmm. I get back up onto that tall unicycle. I'm still juggling. I'm passing clubs. We're doing our uh, knockout of an uh, ice cream cone. Of, uh, we did a double knockout. Two people blindfolded from the audience and knock it out of the... We do that, we finish up, we jump down, she comes down from stilts, I come down from the unicycle. We pass a hat, a doctor comes up, says, uh, that was not a very good looking fall, let's have a look at your arm. I said, I can't move it now. He went, get to the hospital, it's broken. Maybe more than one place. Uh, we go to the hospital, it's a broken arm, they put a cast on it, my back is not feeling very well either, but it's, I've had a bad back all my life. In the hospital, we receive a phone call. Somehow they've traced us, I guess, through Buskerfest International in Halifax. They said where we were. They said we went to the hospital. The phone call traces us to the hospital. I'm going, who is calling me in the hospital? The lady on the other end is crying because my dog has been hit by a car. Within an hour of me, his two legs are in a cast now. He's taken to the vet. He survived the. He got hit by a car on the on the highway just outside of her so-called dog training school. He just wandered out onto the highway and got hit. And uh, they
2: don't train the dogs not to wander, not to wander out to the to highway. The highway. Yeah, yes, that's the so so next year. It was yeah,
0: very disappointing. So now his front left leg and his his back left leg are in casts.
2: Not to mention, you've got one of your and arms in the my cast, so that and juggling cast. routine between the two of you—he Ex- still got two legs oh, and you got one. Yeah, hand. I, yeah it's getting it, tough.
0: Later, he did learn to uh, shift his weight, and he could run. He could do anything that he used to do. Yeah. One of the first thing he learned to do was uh, run down to a pond and throw himself in. So I had to have the cast reset later ah. when we got back to Toronto. But now. We pick them up, we don't know what to do with them, we keep them in a wagon. We're staying in a very nice hotel, one of the best hotels in uh, Halifax. In Buskerfest, put us up up at the
2: AKM Kelly. The King something. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And they said, okay, you can keep the dog in here because uh, someone just a couple of weeks ago, some magician had a tiger staying with him in his room. So they went, "Uh, so I guess a dog is helpless. But we had to wheel them around in a wagon. We bought a wagon put him in the wagon, put a sort of blanket over him. Here's me with the cast, and uh, there was another guy named uh, Brian Hulse, who uh, during the first days of Halifax Busterfest also broke his leg and was in a cast. Uh, The newspapers caught on to this and came down, and the the headline the next day read, Bad Breaks Dog Busker. Front page story with uh, myself, my dog Oscar in the wagon, and Brian Hulse, uh, <laughs> all in casts. Unfortunately, we couldn't uh, capitalize on it because my act was lame with one arm. I couldn't, As much as I tried, in fact, I tried riding a small unicycle and I tipped myself backwards and I ended up in the hospital and they went, hey, haven't you already had an accident? It
2: gives another meaning to the break a leg expression, I guess. Before yeah, you, you <laughs> I think they go. made use of that. Right. In, In the article. To, as uh, thought, yeah.
0: Yeah, I have a picture of the article. Here it is right here. On the front page of the, the uh, Chronicle Herald, uh, 1980 uh, summertime. There's the picture of the three of us. That's hilarious. Um, so I haven't actually gotten to the story. Uh, uh, we. Are, this is uh, a story about what. Busking became in those days, and why buskers often have big egos. Yeah, I, I don't know if I am allowed to say that because lots of other, in fact, the only people listening to these podcasts are <laughs> buskers. Yeah. yeah, I would hope to the converters, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, in those days, buskers, and in, in later days, I think in the throughout the nineties, some buskers I spoke to thought they were international stars yeah. uh, of stage and screen. Um, yeah. I just thought it was funny, but he, here's. A story to illustrate why they thought so. Um, Madam Buskerfly and I are wheeling the dog around, and whenever he had to pee or poop, he couldn't stand up, so we had to hold the blanket and me with only one hand, her with both hands, on either side of the dog, put it under him, or a towel or a blanket, lift him like a crane out of the wagon, Hold him above where he's going to pee or poop, right? The poor dog. how humiliating for Oscar it was. And it was a little embarrassing for us if anybody saw us. So we're doing that behind a bush. <laughs> and some people came along and said, "Look, there are some buskers!" and came running behind the bush with their camera and started taking pictures of us, and then asking for our autographs. There are buskers. Taking and I'm going. This is not a good time. Why don't you just wait? Like, oh no, it wasn't they had to take pictures of us? Like uh, they were paparazzi
2: Mm. (laughs) behind (laughs) the bushes. Buskers Booing with a dog. I mean, that would be another headline, I guess. For yeah,
0: there they are, Chronicle uh, Herald. Yeah, buskers' dogs also poo. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, So
2: you've done well. You've. uh, I mean, I've known you and watched you and seen you for years. You're really one of the fathers, and in some cases, the grandfathers (laughs) of performing (laughs) in (laughs) Toronto. The last few years has not been good
0: to you. Well, it's like the wave is dying a bit. We were riding a wave in the '90s, uh, '80s, and '90s. There was comedy in every pub. There was comedy at every university. Do you remember playing lunch hour comedies at uh, universities and colleges? There was a lady named Zoe Stotlin, God rest her soul.
2: That's right. Who
0: booked us, yeah, Yeah. booked a comedy. Some of them weren't great. Some of them had no cover charge. Some of them were pubs where there were drunks who had no idea that there was somebody up on stage. Still, we were making Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of hundred bucks a night for doing this, and that was almost every night of the week. So as long as we did... Five or six shows a week, we were golden and making good money. Well, that wave started dying in the late The 90s. new vaudeville <laughs> even
2: began to fade.
0: Yeah, yeah, even that was not... It's. I guess it's partly entertainment changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the internet t- took away the agent's role. Uh, I used to depend on agents mm-hmm. for a lot of my gigs, for even festival gigs. Word of mouth, of course, and Johnny Toronto was a fairly well-known name and not just Toronto, but Ontario, then, uh, you know, not a lot of new performers came up, but who wants to book somebody who's over 50 mm-hmm. uh, when they can book a 20-year-old? Mm-hmm. Looking good, you know, uh, more acrobatic. I'm, uh, I'm still doing my tall unicycle up until a couple of years ago, and uh, up until June. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was doing my tall unicycle. I had some health problems. I, had, uh, I have to admit I had cancer. The cancer was kind of in remission for 10 years and then came back uh, last year in June. And finally my doctor said, no, don't do that tall unicycle anymore. You're going to break your back and you'll never get mobility again. I spent this summer in a wheelchair. Not good for a juggling act. But people said, hey, why don't you just do your juggling act from the wheelchair? I don't think people want to see a guy in a wheelchair come out and do what would have been in my case a lame juggling act. Um yeah I guess uh, and the entertainment wave sort of crashed a little bit, so uh the the gigs became came fewer and far between. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of places I still do though I didn't do them ne- uh, two thousand and thirteen hardly did anything maybe early days, but uh, my favorite place, and nobody take this upon themselves to apply for a job there because it's my gig
1: mm-hmm.
0: Santas Village in Bracebridge is my mm-hmm. favorite place to perform. Mm-hmm. It's in the woods, it seats 200 people, they're uh, a very attentive, really nice family audience. I can do my act, uh, and I'll be doing it again this summer without uh, the tall unicycle, it's no big deal if I don't do the tall unicycle finale. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: It's the air that I'm breathing up there, I'm staying at uh, my brother-in-law's cottage Mm -hmm. in the Muskoka's, couldn't be better, I I wish I could do it year round, Mm -hmm. I'm happy to do that, but... yeah, it's not going to make me enough money to survive the whole, the whole year round. So, I, I, you know, I was in, in uh, July and August when I was in that wheelchair. I was going, I guess Johnny Toronto's retiring from the business. But, you know, you know this and, and you, you'll know this in 10 years, 20 years from now. You can't retire from this business. Mm-hmm. You can't. I'm back out there. I don't know that I'll ever be street performing again. I I might. But uh, as long as somebody phones me up and says, hey, can you come over and and entertain? I don't care. Entertain at my party. Entertain at my kid's birthday party. Why not?
2: And to to balance, (laughs) you know, I agree that there was a new wave. There was uh, young people coming up. But there are still people who want Johnny Toronto. And they don't want a younger version of Johnny Toronto. And they want that guy... And I think that's why you still do get the calls. It's because it's you that they want. It's not a cheaper or younger or uh, different. It's you. And I think your longevity has given you that clout that uh, makes you desirable with the ebbs and flows of the industry.
0: Thank you very much. It's the longevity and... um, Well, the longevity... The factor there is the uh, variety of places uh, performed. You, l- you learn to, to roll with the punches.
2: Unfortunately, that's often a skill that, as the young people come up, they want the conditions to be just so, so that when the conditions are not just so, they um, have attitude or they have problems. And in mm-hmm. fact, you know what, those like yourself and myself, who've been around for a long time, know that the conditions are never no. so, and as a result, build the skills that are necessary to adapt to those conditions.
0: Mm. And have the attitude that uh, you don't abandon the show. You don't just stop in the middle of one and say, these conditions are are not right for me. Yeah. Um, I'll do what I can around them, I guess. Uh, and right. I makes... was once hit. I was once hit by a ceiling fan on my tall unicycle because because I spun around a bar. I was working right next to a bar in a tiny little tavern, and turned around and bam! Right into a ceiling fan. But you have to uh, go with that.
2: And it still maybe beats teaching those kids in Prince George.
0: Yeah. As you do, yeah. As I've always said, uh, the difference between teaching and performing. When you have a bad audience, you don't have to see them every day for the rest of the year. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But uh, you also learn. There's no bad audiences.
1: Yeah.
0: You just adapt to whatever that audience is giving you, and you, you try and turn it around. It has be, been wonderful audiences.
2: It might be a um, uh, a long stretch or hard to link, but somewhere down the line, we would all like to thank your first wife who left you back in <laughs> Prince George to go uh, follow her French, because as a result, we got all those years and hopefully many uh, more years <laughs> of, of your charm. Let's thank Janine. Yeah,
0: she was a, she was a potter. She made pottery, and I was a juggler. That just didn't match up very well.
2: <laughs> well, we're glad it didn't, and thank you for sharing your stories of the pitch.
0: Thank you, Derek. It's been a fun ride, and, uh, and the best part is friends. Friends like you, and friends like the late Dan Cole, yeah. and Scott the Juggling Guy, and Waldo, and Wes uh, Harrick and Madame Buskerfly, and her wonderful husband Greg Tarlin, All those wonderful people are still, still good friends, Yeah, and will be for a lifetime. Good health to you, my friend. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dad.
1: Stories from the Pitch is produced by the Busker Hall of Fame and is made possible through the efforts of a Cracker Jack team of dedicated individuals who share a passion for the recording, editing, and presenting of these stories. Downloading this podcast doesn't cost a dime, but keeping it afloat does. If you enjoy the content we continue to generate, help us cover the hard costs of maintaining and delivering it to you by heading over to the Busker Hall of Fame website and clicking on the Donate button. Your donation will be recognized on our donors page, you'll get a shout-out on one of our regular e-blasts, and you'll be making a deposit in the Karma Bank, one that may pay dividends the next time you pass your own hat at the end of your show. I'm just saying. Music for today's podcast came from 357 Lover. Links to both songs are available in the notes section of this episode on the Busker Hall of Fame website. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes. Simply go to the podcast library, type in stories from the pitch, and download away. And while you're there, please do consider leaving a review and giving us a five-star rating. It'll take just a minute or two, and it'll mean the world to our production team. Got a story to tell? Something you think we could improve? Or perhaps you're interested in becoming a sponsor of an upcoming episode? If so, drop me a line at cbg at Haven't gotten enough Buskerhoff content yet? Well, then consider checking out our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Fame. Follow us on Twitter at BuskerStories or sign up for our newsletter on the Busker Hall of Fame website. And hey, while you're on the Buskerhoff website, you can check out the article from the Halifax Chronicle Herald that Johnny mentions and some other content that he's provided in support of this episode. Think you need a stage, a mic, or an amp to do a show? Not if you've earned your chops on the street like Johnny Toronto did. The street teaches you to roll with the punches
0: and you're happy to perform anywhere. I did a show in the frozen food section of a grocery store one day, Stoneville, Ontario during a festival because it was pouring rain outside and Mm -hmm. it was like a hurricane almost and they went go into any place you can and find any audience. And I went, oh my goodness I'm happy to do a show in the frozen food section and I can look at this stuff
1: and use it on behalf of myself co-producer Lindsay Lindbergh Derek Scott who captured this interview Magic Brian who created the preliminary edit and the rest of the staff of the Busker Hall of Fame we hope this finds you well and as you perform for audiences around the world please remember to use your superpowers for good I'm David Aiken the checkerboard guy thanks for listening
0: Would it be okay if we did a show here? Well, as long as you don't ride over anybody on that big bicycle of yours.